This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Following this past weekend where we saw the Senate acquit former President Donald Trump for a second time, it might be tempting to fall into anger or frustration. But our next guest says, why bother? During the impeachment trial, there were some irrefutable facts laid bare about the dangerous bigotry and hate that resides in pockets of our nation and Donald Trump's role in legitimizing and mobilizing it. So even if the Senate failed to find him guilty, there's now an established record of Trump courting and stoking the flames of hate and racism throughout this country. And in a new piece in the Washington Post, national political columnist E.J. Dion notes that this record matters and will inevitably shape our future, not just for those members of the GOP who were complicit in Trump's behavior, but for all of us as we begin to look back at the Trump years from the rear view mirror. E.J. Dion joins us now to talk about how he's viewing this moment. E.J., welcome back to Detroit Oh, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Yes. So in your view, what were these important elements that were laid out by this really meticulous case that prosecutors put forth in the Senate against Donald Trump? Well, you know, we don't always think that much about history. Obviously, we're all living our day-to-day lives. But I think history matters. How we look back at certain periods in our history matters, because every political era is in part the product of what came before. Uh, Democrats ran against Herbert Hoover after the Great Depression for two generations. Ronald Reagan ran against the sins of liberalism uh, for a couple of generations, and two big movements were built. I think what the impeachment managers did, and they were a very impressive and diverse group, what they did is they really laid out not only the abuses of January 6th, showing the Trump speech, showing how the violent mob responded to that speech, but they went back through the entire record of the Trump presidency, his uh, his stoking violence, his calling it out at rallies over time, um, his playing you know friendly with a lot of really far right extremist and uh, white supremacist groups, and I think except for those who are deeply committed to Donald Trump, uh, the record they laid out is going to stick. I think to Donald Trump, um, and I think it creates an opportunity for a different kind of politics now. There is going to be a huge fight in the Republican Party that a majority of Republicans uh, are still sticking with Trump. But I think it's a real problem for the party because roughly a quarter of Republicans are signaling, yeah, Trump did this. It's a bad thing. And the Republicans who just lost an election uh, can't afford to lose another quarter of their people. They've already lost a lot of people. Uh, in the suburban areas of uh, the Northeast, the Midwest, the West Coast. Um, And so that's why I think you had that very odd Mitch McConnell moment where he voted against impeachment. He said not guilty (laughs) and then gave a speech that could have been written by the impeachment managers and listed the many ways in which Donald Trump uh, was guilty. In the column, I used that great old line that it's really hard to run with the foxes and hunt with the hounds. (laughs) That's what uh, 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 McConnell and other Republicans, Rob Portman, issued a similar statement, the Republican senator from Ohio, 
um, I think that shows what a problem they have. They're trying to go both ways at once, and you can't really do that in politics. And, and so one of the things that it strikes me that the, is, is a fundamental problem for the party is that in order to win, especially at the national level, um, they have to they have to recapture this this suburban vote, which is what helped uh, Donald Trump win in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin in in 2016, and is the reason that he lost those states really uh, in 2020. But the party also is really reliant on this very far right faction uh, that 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 powers it in the states where it has real control in in small rural states that are not terribly ethnically diverse that is that is the republican party uh in so many ways and it seems to me that part of what's going on here is a struggle between the state power that uh, the GOP has in these smaller states and the national ambitions it has of course to win uh, presidential elections. It's only won one popular election for president since 1988. Uh, I can't think of another time in American history that a major political party has gone as long without uh, a popular win in the presidency and still survived. But it but it survives because it's really strong in these states where there isn't there isn't another party really. There isn't an al- an alternative. That tension. It seems to me is is kind of a catch twenty two. If you appeal to one side, you're going to lose the other. No, I think that's exactly right, and I think the nature, the structure of the U.S. Senate, which privileges smaller states with uh, small populations, uh, gives the, if you will, the right wing and the far right wing of the Republican Party more strength than they would have otherwise. I think the party faces a fundamental choice: do they want to go down? a small-D Democratic path or an anti-Democratic path, again, small-D. Um, if they go down the Democratic path, uh, they're going to have to appeal to a broader electorate than they managed to win uh, in uh, 2016, and certainly in 2018, where they took in the congressional races even more of a shellacking in the House races. Uh, or they can pursue policies like the gerrymander, like voter suppression, uh, and sadly and, and troublingly like uh, armed resistance. And you know, you've seen uh, the dangers of that in Michigan. Um, and sort of try to stay exactly where they are and manage to hold on to power over time with a minority of the vote. Donald Trump never has, in either election, as you point out, ever got. A majority of the vote. I, I go back in Michigan a long way. I'm, I've been around a while, mm-hmm. and I remember the party of people like John Engler and Spence Abraham. And mm-hmm. these are not, I'm, you know, I'm a progressive. I didn't agree with them, but these were mainstream politicians who understood you wanted to win a majority of the vote. Uh, and now you're at a point where you've got folks saying, well, maybe we can win without a majority. Maybe we can gerrymander our way into majorities and so on. And that's really distressing, I think. I, I, we need a system where uh, the parties compete to win, not uh, compete to whether they can rig the system in their favor. Mm. Uh, the other intrinsic problem, it seems, that Republicans have is one that I think Lindsey Graham uh, articulated quite well recently when he said that in in terms of a figure 
to be the leader of the party, there isn't really anyone else who can compete with Donald Trump. And we, we don't know yet, I think, what what Donald Trump is going to be up to uh, now that he's not in the White House. And actually, now that he doesn't have the social media platform uh, that he had before, which may even be worse than not being president. Uh, yes, but, I agree. <laughs> but, but still, who who else is there, right? If you look on a national level, who could compete with him uh, to be, quote unquote, the leader of the Republican Party? You know, those of us who are political pundits need a virtue that we almost never have, uh, which is modesty. <laughs> uh, in the end, after the 2012 election, I don't think anybody foresaw that Donald Trump was going to win the 2016 Republican nomination. So this far out, I think it's really hard for us to figure out who will emerge as alternatives. We enlist a whole bunch of names, but we don't know uh, who among them will emerge as an alternative. But you point to something really important. Um, you know, I'm a devout Trump critic, always will be. But Trump is box office. Trump had a kind of base he had built partly out of birtherism, partly out of his television uh, fame. Uh, and he has a weird kind of charisma for a particular part uh, of the electorate. Uh, the one problem he has now, I think, is that Donald Trump in 2016 was an idea, uh, was a notion. He, you could read into Trump whatever you wanted to. And a lot of Republicans who opposed him in the primaries rationalized their support for him against Hillary Clinton by saying, oh, he'll grow in office. He can't be like this in office. Mm. Well, it turns out he was like this in office. He was probably worse than a lot of people uh, expect, even you know people who didn't expect much. He was worse than what he was expected in office. So I think that's a real problem for Trump. He's not a fresh figure uh, anymore. And part of that record, by the way, is not at all populist. You know, the big tax cut he signed was a classic conservative for the wealthy tax cut. I mean, there are things he did that really aren't uh, in line with what he claimed to be. So Trump now has a record, and I think it's going to hang on him for a long time. I'm talking with uh, E.J. Dion, columnist who covers national politics for The Washington Post, also author of Code Red, How Progressives and Moderates Can Unite to Save Our Country. Uh, we're talking about post-Donald Trump, what the GOP looks like, what our politics look like, uh, how we go forward from here now that uh, Donald Trump has been acquitted a second time by the U.S. Senate in an impeachment trial and has kind of disappeared from uh, much of the news cycle, certainly has disappeared from the social media platforms where uh, he used to be able to command an awful lot of attention uh, instantaneously in 24 hours a day. So what's next? Who's next? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us how you're feeling about the country post-impeachment trial. Uh, were you surprised that the president, the former president, was acquitted again? Uh, what do you make of the Trump loyalists in Washington and here in Michigan now that Trump himself is no longer in office? Uh, we especially want to hear from you if you are a Republican. Call and tell us how you're feeling about your party and what you see as the future of the party, both on a national level and here in the state of Michigan, where we've got our own problems with uh, the state GOP and its leadership. As always, the number here on the phones is uh, 313-577-1019. That's 
1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Craig in Southfield. Craig. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Craig. So um, my, my granddaughter turned 18. She voted for the first time. And she had no political affiliation. She just, just like most millennials, she's seen what's going on. She's very astute. And this is what I think is going to happen. The Republican Party had a platform. They stood for certain things, which uh, um, defined Republican uh, values. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump comes along, you know, he's a celebrity, and he knew how to manipulate the media. He knew how to count the electoral votes. He knew how to attack his opponents and put them on the defensive, uh, even in the primary. And I think what's going to happen is that the young people, and as people get more and more educated and seeing what transpired, they're not going to, quote, embrace that. They're looking at this is not what the America that I envisioned. And his slogan of Make America Great Again, great slogan. But people are going to start realizing for Republicans, this is not the America I want. Mm. This is not reflective of who I am and the values that the Republican Party stands for. So he's going to have an uphill battle because you can't come back with that same playbook of attacking everyone, putting everyone on the defensive, calling people names. It, it, it's not going to work the next election mm. cycle because the voters are more educated. I and know. Having seen what transpired, they're, they're not going to accept that. You know, Craig, I, I, I hope you're absolutely right about that. I I don't know that uh, that at least at this point, and it's so early, of course, before – uh, we see what happens in the next uh, cycle, uh, the midterm cycle, and then uh, in 2024. But boy, it 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 just doesn't look promising that uh, that the party will be able to pull away from from what Trump made it made it into. Uh, EJ, what's your what's your take on that? Well, I, I think the caller is really onto something very important, which is uh, the youth vote. However, you want to define it, under 25, under 30, under. Uh, 35 or 40, the youth vote was overwhelmingly for Biden. Young people, young Americans just do not relate uh, on the whole. I mean, obviously, there's always a minority of any group, but on the whole, they don't relate to the kind of politics that Trump uh, is preaching. Uh, They're more open. They grew up in a multicultural America. They don't like attacks on LGBTQ people, all that kind of stuff. They just don't relate to this kind of politics. And so the Republican Party, looking out beyond even 2022 or 2024, um, will have a real problem if it sticks to a Trumpist approach, because the coming generation um, is just uh, not uh, where this kind of republicanism is. And uh, it's often said young people get a little more conservative when they get older. They might get a little more conservative. But there's also a fact from political science that where you start out in politics, how you start voting, uh, has an effect on how you vote for the rest of your life. There was a whole generation uh, of Democrats created by Franklin Roosevelt during the Depression. I think you're going to have a counter effect by Trump, a whole generation of young people whose inclinations will be toward the Democrats unless the Republicans change. So I really appreciate the caller's comment on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, 
We're going to continue this conversation with uh, E.J. Dion about uh, the future of Republican politics, the future of American politics. We also want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Just when you think things are going smoothly, something always goes wrong. For WDET, the problem is now our transmitter. Over the past few weeks, serious problems have surfaced with our 21-year-old main transmitter. They're only supposed to last 15 to 20 years, so I guess we got our money's worth. Your money's worth. While we wait for a repair part, we've been on the backup transmitter, which is no spring chicken at 34 years old. Some FM listeners can hear a buzz. The buzz is from really old capacitors that are performing erratically in our really old backup transmitter. We want to sound excellent for you. We're sorry if we do not. Succession planning for radio transmitters is such that when it's time to get a new transmitter, the former main transmitter becomes the backup. We're doing a few more diagnostics to be sure, but we think it's time for a new transmitter. We'll be asking for your help to buy one during the March fundraiser, or you can always give now at WDET.org. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. My guest is E.J. Dion. He is a columnist who covers national politics for The Washington Post. We're talking about post-Trump, what Washington will be like, what the Republican Party will be like, what our politics are going to be like, and how we get away from some of the damage that uh, the former president did not just to the Republican Party, but uh, to our politics uh, in general. want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, we've already got uh, people queued up to join the conversation there. If you want to go to Facebook or to Twitter, you can also put comments there, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get back to listeners, EJ, I want to talk just a little about what's going on here uh, in Michigan, uh, Mike Shirky, who is uh, the Republican Senate Majority Leader in our state legislature, uh, got caught on tape last week um, indulging conspiracy theories about what happened on January 6th and also making some really awful misogynist and violent comments about uh, our governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, he, he's caught in the same place, I think, that uh, lots of mainstream Republicans are caught in. He was talking to uh, a group of, of pretty extreme uh, members of the Republican Party. White supremacist groups are pretty prevalent in certain parts of our state here. And Mike Shirky has been uh, palling around with some of them, trying to, to keep their support. At the same time, you know, publicly, he eschews all of that and talks about uh, how he doesn't sympathize with it. Uh, this this tape kind of outed him as as more of a sympathizer than I think he would like us to believe he is. Uh, but this is the it sort of crystallizes this trouble that the party has, which is that in order to win, they've got to keep those votes. And that faction of the party 
is pretty vocal about uh, demanding what it wants and holding people accountable when they don't deliver. No, I think that's right. If, if I could do two shout-outs to your station, first, I now know I have to help you buy a new transmitter. <laughs> uh, but uh, secondly, um, there's a very good piece on your website uh, by uh, Jake Nero, and I hope I pronounced her name right, Jana yes. Roth, mm-hmm. um, that is a really well-reported piece about the Shirky controversy. And I read it from afar in the same way you read it much closer than I, which is he is stuck in a place where he is trying not to fully embrace this extreme violent side, uh, and yet there he was on tape uh, embracing his, you know, a, a completely discredited conspiracies about who that crowd was uh, at the Capitol. They were carrying Trump flags, not some <laughs> other kinds of flags, and that terrible comment about uh, Governor Whitmer. And so what these Republican leaders are caught in is a kind of whiplash where they know they have to win the party's nomination. They know the power of the right wing inside the party. And disturbingly in Michigan, I think, again, from afar, the importance of these militias is really, uh, I think, for old-fashioned Republicans just has to be uh, disturbing. At the same time, they take a look at what happened to Donald Trump. And, you know, Michigan wasn't even close uh, in uh, t- uh, 2020, that was a pretty substantial win sure. uh, by Joe Biden, and and so um, the you know what he is stuck in is uh, you know Bob Dylan had that famous line: "You got to serve somebody, you got to make choices." And I think that uh, somebody like Shirky is trying to see if he can work his way around it, and it just gets you into a lot of trouble. Mm, yeah, uh, Jake and Shana, of course, are hosts of Mishmash, which is a weekly podcast that looks at uh, politics here in Michigan, and uh, I'm sure they are. Yeah, no, it's a really good piece, I think, because, you know, what? one of the things we, uh, if I may, just side editorialize on a completely different subject, um, we have a lot of opinion in the world. I'm part of that world. We need good reporting, and I think they really, that piece reflects just a lot of on the ground. Talk to a lot of people, tell people what's going on. We need that kind of journalism desperately uh, that works for everybody, not just people of one point of view. Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, Jake is also, of course, the senior producer here on uh, Detroit Today, so he is dancing a jig at uh, at your shout-outs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <I> deserve to. <laughs> let's get back to uh, the listeners here. Let's go to Jim in Charleston, South Carolina. Jim, welcome to Detroit hey, Today. Hey, good morning. Hey. Basically, I wanted to kind of uh, reiterate, I think, what the commentary is, that as long as Trump is kind of uh, in the forefront of the Republican Party, we, we Republicans are in trouble. I live in Charleston. I have a business and live part-time in rural South Carolina. And in rural South Carolina, regardless of what happened, people are still almost completely behind Trump. And so if he's a spoiler for the next presidential cycle, uh, we're in deep trouble, especially when you look at it from this state where, in my opinion, the most logical nominee or candidate to run would be Nikki Haley, the former governor. Mm. Very well respected, very well liked. I don't think the the population, the Trump population here, would even support her over Trump in 2024. Wow, wow, uh, that's that's quite an observation, uh, Jim. Uh, EJ Dion, the, the situation with someone like Nikki Haley again echoes what we see with 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 other Republicans. This weird line they have to walk between supporting 
the president, the former president, and his, and his supporters, and trying to look toward the future. No, there, there's a great piece about Nikki Haley by a, a journalist called Tim Alberta, and Haley is actually a perfect case in point. Somebody uh, who is a really promising figure. Again, my politics are different, but as a, given her experience and what she's done, she's a promising Republican figure. She was a Trump loyalist for a long time. She looked at what happened uh, at the Capitol and and basically just reacted as many human beings react and put aside politics and said, this is awful. And now she's got a problem with the Trump wing of the party. And I, I think that's what Republicans are going to be facing for uh, some time to come. And again, I go back to where I started. I, I think that's why the impeachment was so important and why the job the impeachment managers did, the good job, I think, uh, was so important because it just laid out this record. Uh, and somebody can say, well, he didn't really mean to do that with that crowd. Boy, after, you know, if you watched any, uh, you know, just a few hours of their presentation, it is very hard to sustain the view. And Mitch McConnell admitted it. Rob Portman admitted it. It's very hard to sustain the view that Trump had nothing to do with this. No, he welcomed it. He, there were reports he was kind of reveling in it in the White House. And so it's going to be really tough on Republicans. And again, I, I think the caller put his finger on something very important. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jim. Again, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for the call. Let's go to Gloria on the North End here in Detroit. Gloria, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Love you as always, oh, thank and you. love what you do for Detroit and for democracy. Um, I have, my question to Dion is: I love Dion too. I haven't seen him on the show for a long time. <laughs> um, what is the point of par- parliamentarians and? Sergeant at arms um, in the in the discourse of of our government, if these um, congressmen aren't held to do what they're supposed to do. For instance, Mitch McConnell got away with not uh, allowing Barack Obama to uh, nominate a judge or put one forward. All the things that he has refused to do, like he stopped the impeachment trial. What's the consequence for, I'll say it, Republicans mm. acting out and not doing their job? Mm. Uh, I, why are they treated like such prima donnas <laughs> and just refuse to do what they're supposed to do and then just say no? And another thing, that congresswoman that just refused to go through the metal detector mm-hmm. and just, you know, just did what she wanted. Nobody can do that in any other entity like a business or anything and just say, I'm not doing it and get away with it. Yeah. We I, want civility. We want things enforced. And that's how all of this gets out of control because a certain party, Republicans, refuse to be civil, refuse to do their job when it doesn't go their way. Yeah. Uh, Gloria, absolutely appreciate the call and and love your observations about rules and customs. I mean, uh, EJ, there's been a lot of discussion about how the Senate has changed, uh, not just in terms of its formal rules, but in terms of the way that members interact with each other, the way that uh, parties behave when they have uh, the majority. Great question. Who's to hold them accountable for that if it's not the voters? 
Well, I think it comes down to the voters. God bless the caller for the call and thanks for the kind words. And I am uh, and please don't get me started on Merrick Garland because we'd go overtime on the show. I thought what happened to Merrick Garland, the fact that uh, President Obama named him with plenty of time before the election uh, in February and no, we're supposed to wait for the election result. And then Donald Trump named somebody really close to the election, and we don't wait for the election result. I mean, it's blatant abuse of the power you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is starting to be serious pushback uh, against this. First, I was glad that uh, President Biden named Merrick Garland as attorney general. Uh, secondly, I think that Nancy Pelosi is starting to lay down the law in terms of uh, if you don't go, if you carry a weapon into the chamber, I think she set a $10,000 fine, which is not a uh, trivial uh, amount of money. Um, and I think Republicans have started losing elections because uh, of this. I think the results in Georgia are a backlash against uh, this kind of Republican Party. I am somebody who thinks we now have to re-examine the Supreme Court. Uh, Republicans really have packed the court. They've used power that they had, um, I think abused power that they had, uh, to pack the court with conservatives. So I really think we have to start looking at expanding the court or other reforms uh, to say we're not going to allow this kind of abuse of power uh, to stand forever. So I'm I'm in a similarly um, um, I, I don't I don't know if the word is militant. I just I don't even think the word is militant. I just think the word um, has to do with being responsive to what is happening and saying you can't just sit there and let the abuse happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a real question: is how you respond. Uh, to the abuse that's happened in the previous administration without provoking uh, a backlash from from voters who who sometimes want things just to 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 settle down. Wait, could I say something? I, yeah, I think what's ahead. interesting about Biden is that Biden is somebody who talks very much about reaching out to Republicans. The first meeting he had in the White House with members of Congress was with Republican senators. He's really serious about that. But he has also made very clear that he thinks the economy needs a very big jolt so we can move forward out of this pandemic. And if the Republicans aren't going to go along with him, he's going to go ahead with Democrats to get it done. And I think that's a pretty good space to occupy. He's not going to demonize the Republicans. He'll meet with the ones who are willing to meet with him. But he's also not going to let them uh, tie him up in knots and not get done what he needs to get done. So I'd say at least for this first month, he's doing pretty well. And there was a poll this morning that showed his approval rating at 63 percent, which is about 13 points higher than his victory, you know, his share of the vote in uh, the election. Yeah, yeah. Okay, E.J. Dion, national political columnist for The Washington Post. Always great to talk with you. Thanks really for enjoy us. to talk to you. Thank yeah. you. All righty. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when uh, we are going to talk with uh, – actually, I'm not sure what we're doing tomorrow. We'll figure that out. Uh, this is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation.